I'm delighted to welcome you to our LPG sector uh, panel. And uh, we have with us another group of uh, distinguished panelists. Uh, I would like to thank uh, Ben Nolan from Stifel for moderating it. And I would like to welcome Charles Mulby from Epic Gas, Ben Martin from Avanced Gas, Jens Ixmar from, uh, from Exmar, and John Likouris from Dorian LPG. So, um, Ben, the floor is yours. Again, thank you very much. Uh, I'm really, every time that I put this panel together, uh, these panels together, I'm awed by the fact that modern technology gives us the opportunity to log in from so many different parts of the world uh, as we are doing now and address a global audience about a global business. So Ben, the floor is yours and thank you very much. All right, great. Thank you, Nicholas. Uh, and, uh, and it's good to be doing this exact same panel a year later uh, from, from when we did it um, a year ago. So I, I'm appreciative of you uh, uh, letting me do it again. I guess I didn't, uh, didn't do too badly last time or you ran out of other people to do it. But um, uh, nonetheless, it, this has been obviously the last 12 months has been tremendously eventful uh, in every aspect of life. Uh, but one of those as it relates to the LPG shipping business uh, has, we've seen um, decoupling of the asset types. Uh, we've seen wild swings in, uh, in, especially lately in some of the freight rates. Uh, and I thought we would start out uh, by, by just doing a little bit of a level setting. Um, we have sort of three different ship types represented, the, the large BLGCs, uh, the, the mid-sized class, and then all the way down to the, the smaller pressurized ships. So I thought because they have traded generally differently um, and it's been a wild year for all of them, we would uh, go through quickly and just sort of have a, a, a quick explanation of, of what is going on, what is uh, the, the, the underlying demand dynamics that's being reflected in um, the, the freight rates at the moment. We'll start with the, the top, the VLGCs, and, and just again, to we have two sort of VLGC representatives here, both Dorian and Avance. Maybe, John, we'll start with you, if, if we could, and just what's the, what's the quick two-minute rundown of, of what has been going on with VLGCs and, and, and where do we stand at the moment? Yeah, I think you're on mute. Thank you, Ben. Uh, the, we, we saw a, a very good second half of 2020, and uh, it was mainly on the back of um, uh, China's recovery. Uh, China reinflated and reignited their economy after their COVID uh, experience, and uh, that recovery was a, a very strong uh, effort um, on their part in, economically. And it, it really, I think, touched many sectors of the shipping industry, including LPG, significantly. And uh, as a result, we saw uh, a, a big amount of activity, uh, which uh, caused uh, um, a kind of a shortage of shipping temporarily in the second half of 2020 and rates to skyrocket uh, into uh, levels that we had not seen for quite a few years. As a result uh, um, uh, of that in increased activity, 
what do you, when can you expect? Uh, very quickly, something happened, which is the, these typical one-off factors that uh, caused uh, uh, the, the markets to come off in uh, the beginning of uh, 2021. Uh, because there was uh, uh, some, uh, uh, you know, return back to normality. Uh, there were no more uh, extraordinary uh, conditions in Asia. The price of uh, propane went up uh, very, very high, and therefore there was uh, less demand for propane. And we saw the rates kind of come off very significantly in the beginning of uh, uh, 2021. So. Um, we are almost at uh, uh, operating levels or even below. Uh, it's uh, uh, depending on what ship you have and if you have a scrubber or not. And uh, uh, we expect that the market is going to uh, come back and recover uh, from these one-off factors that we have seen in the first quarter. Uh, and uh, uh, production and the logistics of LPG will return back to normality. So an improvement in the markets uh, we, we expect in the second half of uh, the second quarter, sorry, of 2021. Okay, great. Uh, and, and, and Ben, Martin from Avance, any, uh, you, you guys are sort of playing the same space. Any, any other color that, that you might would add to that or, or that you think it would be helpful? No, I mean, to be honest, I agree with, with, with what John, John is saying. You know, our view um, is that the, the fundamentals for LPG remain pretty positive for this year. I think we just hit a perfect storm of, you know, exceptionally high freight rates. Um, once every 10 year cold snaps in the US, which push, pushed, uh, you know, Bellevue prices very, very high. And then, you know, Far East and holidays, which kind of stilted the, the, the buying demand. Um, so, you know, I think there was just a, a Constantino effect of everything catching up all at the same time. And, you know, if we look, <clears throat> if we look for the, you know, the demand moving forward through, through 2021, you know, we expect to see, um, you know, trying to continue to buy with the new PDH plants coming on, which is, I think, sort of two, two and a half million tons a year of additional, um, you know, consumption. We would expect India and Indonesia to continue buying as well. So that sort of demand story in, in Asia is, is, is pretty positive in our view. Um, you know, we think that, generally speaking, the propane prices will correct down in the next sort of week or weeks. And with that, given that freight has done all the heavy lifting to, to allow an ARP to open up, we should start seeing uh, cargoes moving and then you know freight returning to a more uh, normalized level. Okay. Um, now, well, before I move over to you, Jens, I, I did want to say for, for those that are uh, attending, if you do have any questions, I'm going to try to make sure that there's plenty of time to be able to work those in. So please feel free to submit them. It, it hopefully won't be wasted time. Um, but now, Moving over to you, Jens, and the, and the mid-sized vessels and appreciating that you guys uh, do a little bit more than that, but that's sort of the, the core focus, I think, as it relates to your LPG business. Um, it's a kind of a different market, right? You're doing a whole lot more ammonia, for instance, and, and maybe not quite the same exact trade as the VLGCs are doing. You know, any other, any other color that might be specific to, to your business that, that is helpful to sort of... Uh, uh, understand where we are in the market. It's uh, as you rightfully say, we're we're primarily in a very different market, the mid-sized market. Although we have 
uh, will have three VLGCs. Uh, that but all these ships are are traded much more conservatively and against the charter. But uh, and 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 add to my my two previous uh, panelists. Uh, you know what is important is that the production in the U.S. is still uh, very strong, and it should uh, and that should underpin the market for the for 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 the rest of this year or from as from the second quarter, late second quarter. And the same with the, if you have an increased oil production in the Middle East, that should also give us a boost. But but the the, the mid-sized market is obviously very very different. It's different because it's a different contra contractual portfolio. We have a much more long-term cover or we have a rolling cover of renewable contracts so it's a it's a much more a time charter business and hence uh, and this goes back historically it's a much more stable market uh, where we you know a more regional trade so so you know uh, this year we have a, a, a very high coverage so we, you know we're not hit by the same volatility and the rates are uh, still at a very acceptable level uh, for, for also for renewals we do and then, and, and as you said, you know, one uh, one third of our business is ammonia, so uh, that is a different business. And and uh, and of course, that that, that the, the ammonia part of the business could be interesting uh, uh, for us being experts in ammonia when you look at alternative fuels and so on going forward. Okay, uh, and and Charles, you guys are are sort of the uh, the smallest end of the spectrum of ships here. Um, in the in the pressurized business again a very very different trade same same commodities largely speaking but but a very different trade uh and and you didn't uh see this huge spike that was reflected in the vlgc's maybe can you talk through what's what's going on in the in the smaller pressurized and and maybe to some extent semi-refrigerated vessels to the extent that you, there's some overlap there as well yeah, thanks very much, Ben. Thank you, everyone. Yes, the, the trade is on the smaller ships is very different. So if we look at the, the macro sort of picture, uh, I would say that global LPG demand last year um, was pretty COVID proof uh, on, a on a global basis, maybe a 2% reduction in the year on global demand, which is very modest compared to, say, the, the reduction in demand for crude oil or something like that, which is maybe down 10% in total. And uh, that meant, of course, there was plenty of demand for the underlying commodity and supply of the commodity. And uh, where we're involved on the smaller ships is in the regional markets, the last mile delivery, and primarily uh, for residential use, for heating and cooking. And COVID, uh, broadly speaking, led to pretty robust residential demand for LPG. People stayed at home, people needed the gas. So we saw an underlying fairly stable picture throughout the whole course of the year, um, maybe slightly, slightly off, but only a smidge. <laughs> and uh, that meant uh, that uh, we were, in, to an extent, COVID-proof. So our rates stayed fairly stable throughout the year um, at profitable levels, but at very stable levels. And uh, we finished the year earning maybe just around about $10,000 a day. Um, the underlying demand um, from the, the big countries that these guys have mentioned, China, India, Korea, uh, Indonesia, uh, all grew, um, as it did in some of the smaller markets, residential LPG as well. Uh, where we saw a little bit of reduction um, was maybe on the autogas uh, demand, uh, which we sometimes supply into. And... Um, into some of the petrochemical trades as the year went on towards the end of the year as the price of LPG propane went up, it reduced the uh, petrochemical trades. 
So, and just to clarify that, about 75% of what we carry is LPG and 25% petrochemicals. And that split changes, if you go into the semi-refs, it sort of moves across almost being 25% LPG, 75% petrochemicals. So it depends on the type of ship you have on the smaller ship size. But all the same, uh, the rates have been fairly stable. 2021, um, we're seeing a recovery in LPG supply and demand um, as the uh, global economies recover and a pickup in petrochemical demand. So uh, we're thinking that 2021 should lead to gradually firming rate levels. Perfect. Uh, so now move to, you know, the inevitable um, elf in the room or talking point here that, uh, that, that always, either it's a positive or a negative um, supply and incremental supply growth. Um, I'd say LPG somewhere in the middle what the order book is 13, 14% of the existing fleet. So it's not nothing, or it's not maybe as depressed as it is in other areas, but nor is it uh, as high as something like LNG. I, I'm curious sort of, and, and again, that's mostly on the VLGC side. There are some mid-sized vessels ordered, not a whole lot on the smaller side, but um, what is giving people optimism? The, the incremental guys, and, and maybe we'll start with you, Ben. You guys have handful of, uh, I think, what, four uh, VLGCs on order. What is the, from a demand perspective, what's the motivation? Why, why are we out here ordering incremental ships? Um, it, I, I returns are going to be good, but what gives you that confidence? So from us, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a multitude of things. I mean, we, um, we think that LPG freight needs to get greener. And these ships are a you know significant step in that direction, you know with the ability to burn uh, LPG and run a shaft generator, you know it means we can significantly reduce the CO two emissions versus you know a traditional ship or even a you know a conversion ship. So that's quite a, a you know compelling argument for us. And then sort of economically speaking, you know these ships are you know vastly more efficient than the, the latest generation of non dual fuel. Um, and then on top of that as well, we have a higher lifting capacity. So, you know, in theory, you've got the ability to carry more freight or to charge more freight. And then you have the ability to choose between burning LPG or, um, you know, VLSFO or gas oil. So there's a lot of sort of economic positives, I think, for these vessels. And then also, as I said, the green angle for it. Um, in terms of, you know, why we do it, you know, we feel that we need to um, stay relevant and we need to uh, offer our shareholders something to look forward to for the future. And these vessels we think will offer a, you know, a, um, a real bright point for, 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 you know, for advanced gas. Um, I think that it's difficult to sort of say why other people aren't doing it. I mean, everyone has their own reasons, but if you look at probably the, the majority of people who have ordered ships are um, end users who are, who are, you know, or rather the, the owners who are backed by end users. So most of the ships are going on to time charter. And I guess what that shows is that the end users have confidence in the uh, pricing of, of LPG in order for it to be competitive. Um, so you know, we're, I guess we're kind of directionally aligned with, you know, with those guys in the, um, you know, in the long run. Uh, I, I wanna play devil's advocate with you here for a second, if I could, and, and maybe well, I'll let you answer because I'm, it's directed at you, but um, then we can have uh, maybe other people chime in here. Um, ordering ships on the basis of sort of 
relative improvements in efficiencies or um, you know, be, being relatively better than an older ship is fine, but it's hard to eat relative returns if the whole market is soft, right? Mm-hmm. Just being better than the next, the next best person doesn't necessarily mean that your returns are going to be good. Um, there, there has to be some level of confidence that, you know, either it's going to be good for everyone or it's not going to be good for anyone. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I guess you have to make your own investment decisions. And obviously, we've made a, a, a personally, we've made a cash flow analysis of where we see the market going, and it justifies the investment for us. But in terms of, yes, you, you obviously, you can't, um, if the market's bad, it's bad for everyone, but it won't be as bad for us as it will be for others. Right. And, and, and so maybe now we can open it up to the rest of you. And again, Charles, you, you maybe can pitch in on, on the smaller side. You're, you're not dealing with people ordering quite as much as, as has been the case for some of the larger ships. But, but uh, John or Ian, how are, how are you guys thinking about, I mean, the, the prospects of ordering ships yourselves? What, what are the positives and negatives? And, and, uh, and where do you stand on that? Is, is uh, your confidence in the underlying demand for the cargoes enough to do it? How, how do you factor in sort of the relative advantage of, you know, a, a newer, more efficient ship as opposed to, you know, the existing fleet and, and deciding whether or not to place incremental orders? Yeah, I mean, as, as ben, ben says, uh, ultimately, we're a business, aren't we? But um, putting that aside, I think uh, from the smaller ships, you can see that there's less, uh, much less focus on dual fuel ordering at this point. And that's partly because the technical solutions are not as readily available yet to provide the dual fuel engines and that kind of thing. But uh, also, when we look at it, we're, we're thinking that uh, it's we've got a, a phase here uh, for the next 30 years and of course that 30 years will pass and then there'll be another phase and so on and so on but uh, if you just take it at the headline level it's 30 years till 2050 uh, the average life of a pressurized ship is also 30 years and our fleet today is already on average eight nine years old and we're going to be making a lot of gradual investment decisions over the next two years five years 10 years 20 years 30 years on our fleet anyway and not one single one of the ships that's in our fleet today will be in our fleet in 2050. So we've got plenty of time to work through a phased adjustment of our fleet, uh, gradually investing in uh, more efficient decarbonizing uh, the emissions and so on as we go. Uh, And we know that um, the solutions that we're looking at today won't necessarily be the solutions that we're looking at in 2040, but we have plenty of time. Uh, But we are working with shipyards, engine makers, and tank designers like everybody else um, to explore what are the options we can uh, start progressing as we go through the second half of this decade. Yeah, and then then I'll leave it to maybe John and or Jens here, but, uh, you know, to that end, what we're, uh, or or maybe relative to what you just said there, Charles, um, maybe what I'm thinking about is incremental growth. I'm not talking about replacing your older ships you know, if you're going to continue to remain a going concern that you have to do that at some point. But incrementally, why would you add to the size of your business through incremental ordering or, or how would you or, or why wouldn't you? 
But you know, this, this is not a business that uh, has a lot of solidarity. It's uh, 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 and owners think about their own book, obviously, and and what to do, uh, how to be positioned right. And if you look at the the, the new ships with the with with dual fuel, primarily on the fully rev side, because on the smaller, I don't think it makes much sense. Uh, these ships are much more efficient. And with, if you take into account the new EEXI rules that will probably take uh, effect in 2023, the older ships are uh, quite substantially or it remains to be seen, but that's what the indications are penalized uh, and may have to slow steam. So, you know, it, it is all about having the best tools and being the most competitive. And, and in that regard, you, you need to, to look into to, uh, buildings, uh, you know, some, from time to time, some ships, although we have no mid-sized ships on order today, but we, it's obviously something we are considering all the time. We're, we're yes, uh, yes I, w I just wanted to add something. Um, we, we, we have to deal in, in shipping, at least we have to deal with a progressive uh, uh, and incremental response to what is happening in our markets. And you know, one, one of them is the supply of product and the demand for product, which is fundamentally very strong. And uh, we, we expect that the second half of this year, 2021 is gonna be strong because there's gonna be a, a, a significant recovery in the Western economies. And as a result, there will be a very strong demand of product uh, but, and production. Uh, but also I'd like to say about the environmental profile of the fleet and of, uh, of what we are looking forward to, we need to transition our fleets eventually to a better uh, emission and uh, uh, environmental profile. And I think the solution is either by building new ships or adapting our ships to become uh, more hybrid in, their, uh, uh, in what they look in the future. In hybrid, I mean, uh, we started with scrubbers because it was a requirement as of the 1st of January, 2020. We did that. Now we're looking at adding uh, our ships, either dual fuel, which is something that's being considered right now and it's being done in four ships, the first four ships that have been uh, just completed in dual fuel. No other engine has been built yet uh, with dual fuel. Then you're gonna have to consider batteries. You're gonna have to, to consider fuel cells. You're gonna have to consider a number of uh, solutions to the EXI solution, EXI requirements of the IMO and the emissions requirements of 2030. As a result, not even those new ships are gonna really uh, perform as we would like them to by 2030, but we need to move forward uh, the industry. And I think one of the solutions is to order a new ship and start adding hybrid solutions to it to improve it so it can be able to, to, to trade into 2030 and 2040. Right. But, but the, the, the special uh, thing about the LPG industry is that we have a bridge solution and we, it's easier for us to order ships than it is for other shipping segments because we are carrying our own fuel. Uh, and, and that is at least a part of the solution and a long bridge solution uh, to decarbonize the, the industry. So that, that is, you know, maybe in uh, uh, inducing some people to order more ships than they otherwise would because it's easier in all the, our part of the, the industry.
is that ease of uh, logistical ease or ease of uh, energy transition, is that a risk, do you think? Again, sort of what if people are ordering chips simply because it's easy to do so without keeping in mind the underlying supply and demand dynamics of the vessel? I, I hope they reflect more than uh, uh, that, uh, making that easy decision for, uh, for making a commitment for ordering ships because it's, uh, it's obviously a substantial investment. So I hope it's a more in-depth uh, an analysis before they make that decision. Right. So I, I, there's a few other things I want to talk about. But while we're here, um, let's do talk a little bit about some of the uh, some of the dual fuel, and then maybe we'll move over to the potential for ammonia, which has a whole different direction that we can go. Um, but but Ben, you guys, the ships that you've ordered are dual fuel. You obviously are um, confident enough that a lot of the challenges that might be present and and things like you know uh, obtaining the fuel in the first place or uh, environmental incremental environmental regu regulations uh, all of the other issues are not overly burdensome or, or taxing such that you're not willing to sort of move forward with it can you maybe walk through how you were thinking about you know the decision obviously you know you talked a little bit about the the, the relative um, applications of the ships, but but maybe a little bit how you're thinking about the incremental risks and, and, and why. Sure. <clears throat> well, I mean, I think Jens is, is, is completely right the way he said it. One of the benefits is that we're actually carrying this cargo. So uh, in theory, um, you know, you, you have a built-in backstop, don't you? It's just a question of agreeing a price with the, you know, the, the charter of, of the, of the, um, of the vessel. Or if it's on time charter, then as an owner, it's not really your issue. It's, it's for, for those guys to worry about. I think the other thing that's quite um, positive about certainly the type of ships that we've done, uh, which are 91,000 cubics, is that we can do full round trips, you know, with, um, with enough uh, cargo capacity to still be able to over deliver the maximum amount in the Far East and make it back to Houston. So, you know, we're not putting ourselves in a position where you might end up in a place where you can't find LPG as a fuel because you'll be back in a low port in the US or alternatively you'll be, you'll be in the, the Middle East. Um, so really it's a question of, I guess, knowing where the, the, the pitfalls might be. So around your, your, you know, your bunker contracts, your supply contracts and working hard to, you know, to ensure that you, you iron those things out. I mean, our group um, has a bunkering business, which is called TFG Marine. Um, and so we're, we're working with those guys to make sure we've got the access we need. Um, and, you know, there's obviously, as I said, the, the flip side is that you can put them out on TC and then it's, um, it's, it's not really the owner's concern. Te technologically uh, wise, I mean, we're very comfortable with the, um, the build that is happening. We're very comfortable with the way the engines will work. We're very comfortable with the companies who are providing the equipment for us. So we don't see any issues there. Um, I'm sure there will be, as with any new technology, some uh, teething problems, but you know, we've got a very strong team of um, technical people in-house and on our technical management um, you know, groups. So yeah, we're pretty comfortable with, with what we've done. I mean, we've invested huge amounts of money in this. Um, so we're, you know, we, we are a, a firm backer, let's say. Just add, uh, add to this that we were, uh, you know, a little bit the XMAR DNA, we were the first to order dual fuel VLGCs. 
and these ships were orders ordered against the time charter to one of the oil majors or big oil companies so we're very confident in the dual fuel uh, system and, and uh, very confident that it will work and these ships will deliver this year so they will be the first new buildings to be delivered with the with the dual fuel putting your sort of forecasting hat on either of you maybe since you've both have placed orders um five years from now do you think every incremental order of at least a larger lpg carry will be do fuel like this or or do you think this is a, a bridge um and and if it's a bridge how long of a bridge is it do you think well, I, I listened to DNVGL uh, a few weeks ago, and they said the, the LNG and the LPG as a bridge fuel, and it's a very long bridge. Uh, uh, so I think it's beyond the five-year horizon that you're you're mentioning. Okay. Because you know you you mentioned ammonia, and ammonia might be a solution, but the first engine uh, that could be available is in is in the end of 2024, which means that uh, you know it, it if it is a, a solution which we believe uh, it could be, but it will take a long time before it's a, it's a, it's something that is widely used. Yeah, and I think the engine is one thing, but the access to the uh, fuel is another thing. And, and mm. you know, e-ammonia or green ammonia is, um, <clears throat> I, I assume, kind of a pipe dream at the moment. You know, the cost for production is extraordinarily high. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think they really have a system of finding the renewable energy to make it a truly green product. So I think there are a lot of hurdles to get through before, you know, we talk about a further um, fuel source. Yes. Well, and that... I, I, yeah, I agree with that because I mean, but but as we carry ammonia already, I mean, it could be a solution for at least as a starting point as a niche trade or a niche business. Well, and that's really what I, I think. I, I'm sure in many of the other conversations and discussions that will be going on at this conference, uh, green or blue ammonia it, it will come up, but probably nobody is better situated to be able to speak about the, 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 the possibilities of that becoming viable than this particular panel. Um, and ultimately, I mean, for, for several reasons, first of all, as, as a fuel, but somebody's got to move this stuff around, right? And, and, mm -hmm. and that obviously, if it does work, it has tremendous potential as a incremental demand driver for LPG vessels. Um, We've we've heard from Ben, we've heard from Jens. Have I don't know, Charles or, or John? Have either of the two of you sort of? Uh, do you have a view on sort of ammonia and whether you think it will be viable, given your position, sort of as an LPG carrier and and and, and probably closer to the, the end product than most of the people that would be uh, at the conference here? Well, as as Jens has touched on, it's definitely viable for carriage. And in the in the past, um, plenty of ships have been involved uh, in the carriage of the product in in Epic and in our future um, com combination partner with Larris and Cosan. We've been involved in those trades, but um, at, and at the moment, I think it's over forty percent of the mid-size fleet is capable of carrying ammonia. Uh, so there's plenty of capacity to do that. But we're we're probably 10, 15 years away, aren't we? And uh, that would be a new generation of new generation of ships, I think, before we get to that point. But it's yeah, it's ammonia is one of the solutions that we're also keeping an eye on and considering for the future, uh, alongside dual fuel LPG. 
Interesting uh, observation on dual fuel LPG, if you don't mind me dragging us back there very briefly. For the, uh, I mean, we talked about the cargo tanks being optional bunker tanks, but are the bunker tanks also optional cargo tanks for some customers? All right. Um, John, any thoughts on ammonia at all, or, or it's been covered from your perspective? Uh, I, I think it's been covered. Uh, look, uh, the first uh, order of business is probably a dual fuel engine that burns LPG. Uh, that engine can be uh, in the future adapted uh, to carry, uh, to burn ammonia. Uh, and that's the benefit of having a dual fuel engine that at some point in the future, if it becomes viable and economically feasible to burn ammonia in this particular engine. So it, it is a flexibility that these LPG engines, the dual fuel LPG engines can and uh, will be able to be uh, changed relatively easily to become uh, um, ammonia uh, engines. So, but uh, as, as, as we, we, we know, the, the availability of ammonia is, is, is difficult, especially green ammonia. And so uh, we, we don't see that coming uh, in the next five years. Okay. All right, well, I think we've adequately, maybe not exhausted, but at least covered the, uh, the ammonia topic here. Um, I wanted to talk about maybe some of the longer term implications from, uh, from COVID, uh, switching gears a little bit. Maybe start with you, Charles. Um, we've seen, well, uh, the refinery complex is one of the major contributors, especially to the smaller pressurized LPG um, cargoes, maybe less so than the, the big mega export terminals uh, where, where it's uh, straight out of the ground almost. But um, as we've seen refineries close, it's changing the dynamics and the logistics uh, for a lot of things, but in particular uh, for your business. Um, can you maybe talk through how that has impacted the, uh, the demand for your vessels and how you think it might play out going forward? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, for instance, if we take Europe um, during 2020, we obviously saw the, the refineries themselves slowing down their run rates uh, in order to manage reduced demand for, um, say, um, car fuel and uh, aviation fuel. And that led to reduced supply of uh, refinery LPG, um, which then impacted, of course, the availability of LPG to go into markets for residential use. Say, if we're looking just at Europe, in, into Spain or into um, North Africa and so on. So that led to product having to be sourced from elsewhere because the underlying demand for the product remained robust. Uh, residential LPG demand remained solid. So uh, we saw a, a sort of dislocation and relocation of trading patterns to, to meet that. And um, there was a brief point at the uh, sort of late uh, summer last year where it looked like European refineries were coming back online uh, and then that all sort of slowed back down again and uh, maintenance uh, and turnarounds and so on have been brought forward and lots of work is being done on refineries to try and use the time up productively. Um, but it is forecast that a lot of that production capacity will return as we go through 2021 and uh, we'll see a return in supply of uh, refined LPG coming out of, out of those facilities. Um, so things will normalize. Uh, and it is forecast that demand this year, or sorry, supply of LPG and demand for LPG will increase by over 3%, which is, which is a, a solid step, um, that's for sure. So in, in your perspective, and then maybe in anyone else's perspective, um, 
the the COVID events, especially as things normalize, there won't be any lingering long-term side effects um, or, or positive or negative. I don't know if you have, have a view on, on either of those. I, I, I think, think uh, I, I th sorry, go on, Charles. Like off you, Jens, please. No, no, I, I think it's uh, 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 the only place where it has had an effect, as Charles said, is, is in Europe on the on, on the smaller ships where we, we really struggled this year with the, with the few ships we have over here. But uh, longer term, I don't, I, I think that will rectify. And I, I think on the bigger ships, on the pressure, on, on the fully rev ships, mid-size and VLGCs, we, it has not had a negative impact on, on the market. Actually, we have seen a very strong residential commercial demand in Asia uh, through the uh, second half of the year, last year. Uh, so it was residential, it was commercial, and it was also petrochemical demand as a result of, uh, of COVID. So we've seen some positive uh, uh, out, of, uh, out of this uh, situation. The, the unofficial letter for the year 2020 is B. So it sounds like certainly we saw that, um, in, at least in the VLGCs. Um, I, I wanted to turn a little bit now corporately. We've discussed a lot about the industry. Um, and uh, the, the LPG space is more consolidated than most other spaces, but there still has been incremental consolidation. Charles, you guys are involved in incremental consolidation yourselves. Um, longer term, uh, this is a, a small market, a, a small market within shipping, which from a public equity perspective, at least shipping is still not outside of a few names, it's still not a very big business. And LPG is a tiny part of that relatively small business. How do you guys think, and, I, and this is open to anybody, how do you guys think, or, or, or are there any thoughts about sort of what's the best, um, what's the best direction for the public companies going forward? Do they need to be, does there need to be consolidation there? Do they need to be bigger? Um, or, or is it just, you know, it's a kind of a niche area and it, it'll be, you know, hot or cold, and that's just the way that it is, and it doesn't really matter how big your your company is. Any thoughts? Well, if I may say something, I think it's a definitely an advantage to be bigger. But I think the main problem is the pricing we have on on the listed companies in general in shipping, where you know, to for a large part, you're priced way below NAV. Uh, and that is obviously making it uh, a challenge to use uh, your listing as a as a currency, and and this is a more structural problem for shipping. And 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 uh, of course, then as as uh, you know, you can you can question whether you the the value of being listed or not. Right. We wrote about that over the weekend, incidentally, if anybody was curious. But um, any any other thoughts? Uh, that that that's a very existential question or answer. There, does it? What's the even point of being listed if we can't use our listing? Has uh, that crossed anyone else's minds on the panel? Here? From a consolidation point of view, I, I agree with the end. The scale, uh, we, we enjoy the benefits of, of scale, but also we need the benefits of scale in order to plan for the next 15 and 20 years. Uh, the investments we're expected and need to make in digitalization, uh, sustainability, decarbonization, it, it requires us to make big decisions. And, and if we want to both be able to afford to make those decisions and then to get the benefit of them as well, um, the scale is really useful. 
because you know we're, we're chasing after the point ones of the ones percents now we're chasing after those tiny percents and the more ships you have the greater the benefit of those tiny little percents they all add up so uh, yeah i mean that, that that's the main driver for us in in the combination we're working on with Larris and Cosan is that we can see that uh, we're going to put two great brands together. One on one is going to equal three and we're going to have access to 75 plus ships on the water in order to uh, to get the efficiencies and the synergies, uh, the economies of scale and the data that comes from those ships. And then also to have the, the balance sheet strength to make the right decisions for the future. Interesting. I, I see Nicholas. That must mean that we're about to get the, the hook here. Um, well, we didn't have any questions. So all of you missed your opportunities to uh, have me ask snarky, uh, ridiculous questions. Sorry, I, I, I may or may not have done it. But um, it looks like if we are out of time, I want to say, first of all, Nicholas, again, I appreciate you having me back again. And, and to all our panelists, I thought this was uh, a very informative and uh, maybe not provocative, but maybe a little provocative uh, uh, conversation. So I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you to everybody. Thank you, Ben, for moderating the panel again. Thank you, uh, Charles, John, Ben, and, and Jens. Thank you very much for being with us. It was another great panel. Thank you so much. Welcome.